to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. How many different kinds of people are there in the world? I had a sales manager friend who liked to say, there are three kinds of people in the world, those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who say, what happened? I've heard there are two kinds of people in the world, those who want an iPhone and those who could care less. And that blank gets filled in with all the latest tech toys. Some say there are two kinds of people in the world, dividers and uniters. And we're divided over a variety of things, Pepsi or Coke, dogs or cats, coffee or tea, morning person, night person, Apple or PC. Someone has said there are two kinds of people in the world, those who say there are two kinds of people in the world and everyone else. There are over six billion people in the world and you can differentiate them by gender, by race, by religion, by shape, by size, by color, by preference. But this morning, I want us to see how God differentiates people. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through chapter 3, verse 4, God tells us there are three kinds of people. Verse 14 of chapter 2 says, but a natural man. There's the natural person. Then verse 15 says, but he who is spiritual, there's the spiritual person. And then chapter 3, verse 1 says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh. And then in verse 3, he says, For you are still fleshly. So there's the natural, there's the spiritual, and there's the fleshly. And that word fleshly is the Greek word carne. So this is a word that we often call carnal having to do with the flesh. So there's the natural person, there's the spiritual person, and there is the carnal Christian. And what I want to do this morning is simply describe these three categories of people that God divides people up into, and then ask you to figure out which kind of person you are. First is the natural. Look at verse 14. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. Now, a natural person is simply a non-Christian, a lost person, an unbeliever, someone who has never been born again. They are natural because they just do what comes natural. Now let me give you three marks of a natural person. Number one, they are born into the natural world. And that's all. They have only been born one time. Jesus said in John chapter 3, unless you are born of water and the Spirit, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born of flesh and the Spirit, unless you're born from below and from above, unless you're born once and born again, you cannot see the kingdom 
of God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being a natural person. Everyone starts out as a natural person. If you're a Christian, you used to be a natural person. But you don't want to stay. You don't want to remain a natural person. Remember what Jesus said about Judas? He said it would be better for him if he had never been born. And I would suggest to you that that's true of every natural person who remains natural. It's better to never have been born than to just be born once. Someone has said this of the the natural person. Nature forms them. Sin deforms them. Education may inform them. Prisons may reform them. But only Jesus can transform them. Now, a natural person can be a good person. A natural person comes in all shapes and sizes, thin, fat, smart, dumb, rich man, poor man, beggar man, thief, doctor, lawyer, Indian chief. But a natural person is only born once. They're only born naturally. Second mark, they're blind to the spiritual world. Look at verse 14 again. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. A natural person can come to church and appreciate the architecture, appreciate the professional bulletin, appreciate the musical talent, but they can't get the spiritual message. I won't name any names, but one of you, before you were a believer, when you first came to this church as a natural person, came up to me after the first service you had ever witnessed. You came up to me in the lobby and you said, that was a blankety-blank good show. And I thought, you know, that's kind of the response of a natural person. He didn't get the spiritual message, but got that that was, that was more entertaining than I thought it would be. I got the opportunity last Sunday night to speak at baccalaureate. It's interesting the comments I got afterwards. People came up and said, you, you know, you were funny. And I thought, I wasn't trying to be funny. That, that wasn't my goal. You know, it's like, this wasn't as boring as, as I thought baccalaureate would be. But there were other people who came up and said, those kids really needed the message that you gave them, and so did I. You see, that's the person who understands. The natural person doesn't understand. R.G. Lee, pastor, former pastor of Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, preached a sermon one time, and a lady came up to him and said, I didn't like that sermon one bit. And he said, well, neither did the devil. Are you classifying yourself? There's a spiritual world all around us. But the natural person doesn't pick up on that. It's kind of like this room right now is filled with voices, 
It's filled with pictures. It, it's, it's filled with radio waves and television waves, but since we don't have a TV receiver in here, and I hope you don't have a radio this morning, we're not picking up on those waves. Well, the natural person doesn't have the right receiver to pick up on the spiritual realm. This verse says he does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. He's blind to those things. He only sees and feels and counts what's in the physical realm. And the things of God are foolishness to him. He has man's wisdom. He has knowledge of this world. His knowledge goes from the cradle to the casket. And that's all. When I was in Rome several years ago, I was wandering around Rome for a couple of days. Well, I don't speak whatever language they speak in Rome. I think they call it Italian. But anyway, I'm there in a foreign country, and I don't speak a bit of their language. That's kind of like the, the natural person. He's in this world, but he doesn't speak God's language, so he really doesn't understand what's going on. When I was in Rome, I went to the Sistine Chapel. A natural person is like taking a blind person to the Sistine Chapel and trying to have him or her appreciate Michelangelo. It's not going to happen. It's like taking a deaf person to a symphony and having them appreciate all the nuances of that music. He is blind to the spiritual realm. And then third mark of a natural person is that he's bound to the physical world. As a human being, you are body, soul, and spirit. In fact, it's interesting that verse is 1 Thessalonians 5.23. We always say body, soul, and spirit. You know what the Bible says? Spirit, soul, and body. I think we say body first because we think body first. But when the Bible talks about it, when God talks about it, he says spirit is first. And then soul and body comes last in that equation. But we are body, soul, and spirit. A natural man has a body and a soul, but his spirit is dead. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. So he is dead in the spiritual realm he, he can only relate to this physical world. You ever notice people like to say today, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. You hear people say that? I don't know what that means exactly. I, 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 maybe that means I take yoga lessons, and, or, or when I see a sunset, I'm a little bit moved. That makes me spiritual. They're not spiritual. The natural person lives by creeds like you only go around once in life. I noticed on the Travel Channel the other day, they have a a show called A Thousand Places to See Before You Die. How do you see a thousand places before you die? You've got to quit your job and just... It's like we only have till we die and we've got to see all these things before it happens. That's the natural mentality bound to this world. Now let me qualify that by saying that a natural person can be happy. We sometimes make 
the mistake of saying as Christians that they can't be happy. The Bible says they can be happy. The Bible talks in Hebrews 11.25 about the passing pleasures of sin. Pleasures. I've seen some pretty happy lost people. They don't have real joy, but they have happiness. And that shouldn't surprise you. Have you got a dog? Does your dog get happy? I've got a cat. I can't tell if my cat gets happy. I, I can tell when he's unhappy. An animal has a body and a soul, but no spirit. Your dog can be happy. What makes your dog happy? Gravy train? Pet him a little bit, give him a cat to chase, throw him a stick. He's happy. Why? Because he doesn't see the big picture. He doesn't realize his little world is not all there is, and so he's happy in that little context of that little world. That's the natural person. All about self-gratification, self-preservation, self-propagation. Second is the spiritual person in verses 15 and 16. Let me give you three marks of a spiritual person. Number one, they receive the things of God. Look at verse 15. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. Now all those things that the natural person can't do in verse 14, the spiritual person can. He accepts the things of the Spirit of God. They are no longer foolishness to him. He can now understand them. In fact, if you look at the end of verse 16, it says, but we have the mind of Christ. Wow, that's understanding. If you're recently saved, you know this. It's kind of like somebody turned the light on. Things are starting to make sense that never made sense before. And this spiritual understanding in the context of this passage comes in a context where he's talking in verse 13 about the illumination of the spirit of the word of God. And so the Bible that you never understood before when you become a believer now makes sense to you. Now let me make a distinction here. The moment you become a Christian, you are instantly spiritual. You don't have to act spiritual. You are spiritual. You are spiritually alive. You are in touch with the spiritual realm. It's like somebody uh, gave you a receiver to now receive the radio waves that are in this room. It's like you have a, a spiritual receiver to receive God's truth. But let me say this. Maturity does not happen immediately. Spirituality happens immediately. Maturity is a growth process. And there are no no shortcuts to that. In Psalm chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He's meditating on the word of God. And then the next verse says, He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, and he will bear fruit in season. You see, there's a maturity process. I think there's a reason for that. God doesn't want you to have a whole lot of information and no character. In fact, God's truth is not something that simply goes to your brain. It affects the whole person. And he wants us to grow spiritually. There's a lot of Christians who become Christians and they go out and they try to talk too much. 
and try to go too far and they go up like a rocket and they come down like a rock because they don't have the maturity to do those things. And so here he's talking about the spiritual person and he says he receives the things of of the Spirit of God. Now, the word of praise means to examine and to investigate and to select. When you become a believer, you're no longer just aware of the physical and the temporal. You're now aware of the spiritual and the eternal. That's why I always tell believers to... Uh, when, when you read the newspaper, to have your Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. Because you read the news of today in light of what God says. In fact, you need to take your Bible in one hand and some red clearance tags in the other and reevaluate things in your life. And some of those things that you thought were important before you were a believer, you need to put the clearance tag on them and put, put them on the clearance rack. Or some of them you need to take out and put on the garbage heap because they don't matter anymore. And some of those things that did not matter to you before you were saved now become priorities in your life. Spiritual person receives the things of God. Secondly, he rejects the opinions of the world. Look at verse 15 again. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no one. Not only will your appraisal of things change when you become a believer, but people's appraisal of you will change. And when you become a believer, some people will take you and put you on the trash heap in their evaluation. And that really comes with the program. Jesus said in John 15, 19, You are not of this world, but I chose you out of this world because of this, and because of this, the world hates you. You see, the natural person can't understand the things of God, and so they can't understand the people of God. The gospel is foolishness to them, and so is the person who believes the gospel. But the reality is, look at the end of verse 15. I love this statement. Yet he himself, that's the spiritual person, is appraised by no one. They try to appraise me, but they're wrong. Their appraisal doesn't matter. I'm not being appraised by anyone. There's only one who appraises me, and that's God. You know what his appraisal is of you if you're a believer? He says, you are my beloved. You know how valuable you are to God? Well, what did he pay for you? He paid the precious blood of Christ. And that word means priceless. He paid the priceless blood of his son for you. That's how valuable he appraises you to be. And when you understand that, that that's God's evaluation of you, then peer pressure loses its teeth. It loses its grip. I don't have to worry about as a spiritual person what other people think because I know what God thinks. And then thirdly, the spiritual person reflects the mind of Christ. Look at verse 16. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now this is a quote from Isaiah 40. And in Isaiah 40, 
we read this. Who measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens by the span? A span is the distance from the tip of your thumb to the end of your little finger. Who marked off the heavens by the span and weighed the mountains in a balance and the hills in a pair of scales? That's a rhetorical question. Nobody did but God. And then the writer asked this question that's recorded in verse 16. Who has known the mind of the Lord that he will instruct him? And the obvious answer is nobody. And it stayed nobody throughout the times of the Old Testament until Jesus came and bought us with a price and made us his children. And then the writer adds this at the end of verse 16. But we have the mind of Christ. Wow. He has placed his... This is in a context talking about wisdom. You talk about wisdom. We have the mind of Christ. On Monday, Stan Crater called me and took me up in a little two-seat plane called a tail dragger. I don't like the name. We only went up about 1,100 feet and we just flew around and looked at things and I took my camera and took pictures of the chapel and pictures of my house. And You want to get a perspective of your, of your life, go up there and look down. And I'm, I'm taking pictures, I'm looking at my house and I'm going, man, it's just, it's so small down there. And, and I'm thinking, I really need to mow my yard, but it doesn't look that bad <laughs> from up here. It's not that big a deal. And I'm thinking, well, how big would I be if I was standing down there? I can't even see people. They're just a little dot down there. That's, that's perspective. Now, we can't literally go up to heaven and look down, although the Bible says spiritually we are there. But this verse tells us that we have the mind of Christ. We get to see things the way he sees things. But let me add this, that having the mind of Christ is more than just that. There's a great verse in Philippians 2.5 that says, have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. And that's the word for mind. Have this mind in you which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? Well, he goes on to say that although he existed in the form of God, he emptied himself and took the form of a bondservant and he humbled himself by becoming obedient unto the point of death, even death on a cross. What is the mind of Christ? It's to be exalted and to humble yourself and go all the way to the cross so that God would highly exalt him. It's to go down to death in order to be lifted up to life. That's the mind of Christ. The mind of man is Peter when he rebuked Jesus and Jesus said, you're thinking like a man. What was Peter thinking? We need to go up to heaven and have the kingdom. We need to forget about the cross and just talk about the crown. And the mind of Christ is humble, submissive obedience. And that's what you and I have inside of us. And we are to reflect that mind. And so the spiritual person receives the things of God, rejects the opinions of the world, reflects the mind of Christ. And then there's a third kind of person in chapter 3 in verses 1 to 4, and that's the fleshly person or the carnal Christian. You know, there should only be two kinds of people 
spiritual and natural, those who possess the Spirit and those who don't, believers and unbelievers, saints and ain'ts. That's all there should be. But there's a third category. Notice chapter 3 and verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now, you're not yet able, for you are still fleshly. Now, a carnal Christian is a person who is born again. But here's the problem. Instead of being led by the Spirit of God, he or she is led by their own flesh. And let me give you three marks of a carnal Christian. Number one, they're unable to eat. Now, it's okay to be a baby Christian if you are a baby Christian. I mean, babies are cute. You bring a baby to church... Everybody gathers around the baby and looks at the baby and pays attention to the baby. In fact, if you bring a baby to church, you don't even have to put makeup on as a mother because nobody notices you. We all love babies. We think babies are cute. But if you see an 18-year-old in a bassinet with a pacifier in their mouth, that's not cute. You see, that's tragic. And that's what Paul is saying was going on here. These people should have been mature and instead they can't feed themselves. They still need a baby bottle. They're unable to eat. Now for every Christian there is a legitimate time of infancy. When you're first saved, that's what you are. But the tragedy is that there are 40, 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70 year old spiritual babies around. Vance Havner said, most Christians today are so subnormal that if anybody comes along and starts acting normal, we label them as abnormal. When you bring your baby home from the hospital, you don't want to feed it sirloin steak. You, you get that formula or, or you use breast milk and you feed the baby milk and then when it grows a little bigger, you go get those little jars of Gerber mash smashed, pre-chewed vegetables. And you take the spoon out and you feed your little one with that. And he or she makes a mess even doing that. You see, the carnal Christian never gets off the baby bottle. The carnal Christian needs somebody to take the little smashed up jar of, of spiritual nourishment on the spoon and, and kind of stick it in your mouth and kind of wipe, wipe the stuff off and sometimes you have to go, here it comes, the airplane. No. Amy Grant did a song several years ago called Fat Baby. It wasn't that popular a song, I think, because it, its message was kind of too sharp. Here's part of that song, talking about Fat Baby. His spiritual tummy, it can't take too much. One day a week, he gets his spiritual lunch. On Sunday, he puts on his spiritual best and gives his language a spiritual rest. He's just a fat, fat little baby. He wants his bottle, and he don't mean maybe. He sampled solid food once or twice, but he says doctrine leaves, leaves him cold as ice. 
carnal Christian, unable to eat. Second, unwilling to serve. You ever notice how much attention a baby needs? You have to feed them and change them and bathe them and carry them and pick them up and put them down and they're constantly crying for you to come and do something else for them. I could never get mine to do chores around the house. They don't serve. They are served. Let me show you another verse. Look at Hebrews. Keep your finger here and go to Hebrews chapter 5. Because the writer of Hebrews is talking about this same kind of person in Hebrews chapter 5. And I'll just cut into it in verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, they were old enough in their spiritual life that they ought to be teachers. They've been Christians for a, a long time. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You ought to be teachers and you need somebody to go back and teach you the ABCs of the spiritual life. And then he says this, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. You're mature enough, you're old enough that you ought to be teachers, but instead you're so immature that you need somebody to come along and give you the baby bottle and teach you the ABCs all over again. That's a tragedy. You know, there are three levels of maturity. You first have to be fed, then you get to the point where you can feed yourself, then you get to the point where you can feed others. And that's what he's saying here. You ought to be teachers. You ought to be taking what you know and feeding other people. Instead, you're still in the bassinet whining to get fed yourself. Fleshly people are those who come to church and sit and soak. They only take in. They don't give out. It's a great illustration in the land of Israel. If you go to the Sea of Galilee... It's, it's a fisherman's dream. It's full of fish. It's a lively place. It's got a river that comes in from the north, and the Jordan River goes out through the south. So it's got a river running through it, and it's a lively place with all kinds of fish. If you go south about 100 miles, you come to a, another body of water called the Dead Sea. It's got the Jordan River flowing in from the north, and nothing flows out at the south. The Dead Sea has no life in it. No fish live there. It is dead. And the reason it's dead is because it takes in the Jordan River. It gives out nothing. And that's the way a lot of Christians are. They're taking in, taking in, taking in, and never giving out. And there's no fruit in their lives. They're unwilling to serve. And then thirdly, they're unhappy with others. Carnal Christian is a divisive Christian who's always complaining, always arguing, always whining. Look at verse 3. For since there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not fleshly and are you not walking like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not mere men? 
A carnal Christian acts like a natural man most of the time. Carnal Christians don't get concerned about the majors. Carnal Christians don't get concerned about lost people being lost and dying and going to hell. They don't get concerned about the majors. They get concerned about the minors, the little trivial things, the little picky things. That's the sign of a carnal Christian. Do you ever take your kids to somewhere nice like Six Flags and you take them there and you know, you've spent all this money and you want to have a vacation day and you're buying them funnel cakes and ice cream and everything they want, you're buying them and you're putting them on the rides and you're thinking, man, I'm a great father. I'm just doing all these things for my kids. And you start to leave the park and you're tired and you're saying, let's go. And they go out and they're leaving the gate. There's always those people selling you one last thing and they say, well, I want one of those. And you say, no, we're not going to get one of those today. And you go and you get in the car. You start to drive away and you hear this, in the back seat and you turn around and you want to give that, that fatherly speech like you mean to tell me you know I spent all this money but see that's the way children are they get hung up on the little things the minor things because they're childish Do you ever notice that God can be blessing and everything going along great in church? And some people, you leave their name out of the bulletin and it's... Or God forbid somebody sit in their pew. They get upset over the trivial things. Now let's be honest. There are times when all of us walk in the flesh. So the question today is not, have you ever been carnal? It's, are you carnal right now? I've met some happy lost people, but I haven't met very many happy carnal Christians. In fact, I believe that the most miserable person on earth is not a lost person. It's a saved person out of fellowship with God. You know why? A natural person does what comes naturally. A carnal Christian does what comes unnaturally. And so they don't feel at home with the people of God, and they don't feel at home with the world. They're in no man's land. To use an Old Testament illustration, the natural man is in Egypt. He doesn't know any better. He's in bondage in Egypt, and he's rather happy there because they're feeding him and taking care of him. The spiritual person is in the promised land. He's enjoying the fruit and the blessing of God. Where's the carnal Christian? He's wandering in the wilderness. He's complaining, he's griping, he's even saying, I'd rather go back to Egypt because we had it better back then. We had great food in Egypt, even though, of course, we were slaves and making bricks all day. So if you've got the natural man in Egypt, you've got the spiritual man in the promised land, you've got the carnal man wandering around in no man's land, 
in the wilderness. And my question to you this morning is, since there's only three kinds of people, which one are you? Are you natural? Only born once? Blind to spiritual things? Bound to this world? If so, I invite you to come to Jesus Christ today. You can become a spiritual person immediately by surrendering in faith to Jesus Christ? Or are you a Christian who is fleshly, unable to eat by yourself, unwilling to serve? Whenever an opportunity comes to serve, you always say, no, I'm too busy. What are you too busy doing? All the things of this natural world. Unable to eat, unwilling to serve, unhappy with others, always having conflict, always got an issue with somebody, always being offended. That's the fleshly person. I'm going to have the praise team come back. We're going to sing that song, Here I Am to Worship. I don't know why you came this morning, but I would love to see us all come together with this same attitude. The only reason I'm here is to worship Him. And you can do that in the honesty of your own heart before the Lord. If you're a natural person, I invite you to be a spiritual person. If you're a fleshly person today, out of fellowship with Him, bow the knee before Him today and get back to that spiritual person that He's called you to be. And let's worship Him in honesty this morning as we close our service. Let's stand as we do that together.